Good morning. When you're going somewhere, uh, your destination often affects what you do on the way, doesn't it? For example, when you're going to the beach, you might be busy putting your sunscreen on. Uh, When you're on your way to a business meeting, you're straightening up your tie. Uh, When you're on your way to the grandparents' house, you're reminding the kids of their manners. No burping at the table, that sort of thing. When you're on the way to the dentist, you're kind of polishing your teeth and getting the bits out. Uh, When you're on the way to a date, you might be checking your breath. Uh, When you're on your way to church, you finish up that argument you've been having all morning. Uh, When you're on your way to soccer, you've got your shin shin pads and your socks on and you're doing your boots up. When you're going somewhere, your destination can affect what you do on the way. Now, I mentioned that this morning because in this bit of Luke, Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. Luke told us that back in chapter 9 and verse 51. When they get there, Jesus is going to bring in God's kingdom by dying for the sins of his people and by rising again from the dead. So how does Jesus expect his disciples to behave while they're on the way to bring in God's kingdom? What's it going to look like for them to be on the way to Jerusalem with Jesus? What does living for the kingdom of God look like now? How does that reshape our priorities? How does that determine the kind of things we're afraid of and how does that determine the kind of things we worry about? Well, those are the the sorts of things we're going to be thinking about this morning. Now, as we do that, we've got to be a little bit careful about simply reading what Jesus says to his disciples and applying it straight to us because we're not in the same situation as them. Having said that, though, there is going to be a lot of overlap between what Jesus says to them while they're on the way to Jerusalem and how we should be living while we wait for Jesus to return. So let's have a look. And the first thing Jesus says to his disciples is, while we're on the way to Jerusalem to bring in God's kingdom, don't be afraid of people who oppose you. Instead, fear God. Stay loyal to me, because if you do that, then even if you lose everything, even if you lose your your life, you'll still be in God's kingdom. And so it'll be worth facing whatever opposition comes. Let's pick it up from verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Strike, that's a strong opening to a speech, isn't it? But when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because remember how chapter 11 ended? When Jesus left the Pharisee's house after a meal, a bunch of them followed him out and they were opposing him fiercely. They were besieging him with questions waiting to try and catch him out in something he might say. So Jesus is faced with a very real, a very present danger here, but he says to his disciples, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who can kill you and after that can do no more. Instead, fear God. Verse 5. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Don't be afraid of people. Fear God. Because God is way more powerful. God is way more scary. God is way more intimidating. The worst someone can do to you is to kill you, but God is the one who, after you die, will judge you. He's the one who has the power to throw you into hell. God is the one, the only one, who decides whether or not you get into his kingdom. So fear God. Now Jesus goes on to say that on the way to Jerusalem, the disciples are going to get a really hard time. They're going to face 
a lot of opposition. Down in verse 11, he says they'll be arrested and they'll be put on trial before synagogues and rulers and authorities. Later on, he tells them that lots of them will actually be put to death, some in really horrendous ways. But his encouragement here is, despite all that, fear God. Keep putting God's kingdom first. Because if they do that, then opposition, it won't matter. They won't need to be afraid of it. Because if they keep putting God's kingdom first, if they stay loyal to Jesus, if they acknowledge Jesus when they are put on trial, then Jesus will acknowledge them in the kingdom of God before the angels. Verse 8. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, that's another name for Jesus, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Now that is a terrific thought, isn't it? Being acknowledged by Jesus in God's kingdom, in front of the angels. And Jesus wants to encourage his disciples to keep putting God's kingdom first, to keep acknowledging Jesus, because if they do that, then nothing will separate them from God. They'll be in God's kingdom Jesus himself will acknowledge them before the angels. And so for that reason, it'll be worth facing whatever opposition comes on the way to Jerusalem. Now, of course, we're not with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, are we? Instead, we're waiting for Jesus to return, to fully and finally bring in God's kingdom. And while we wait for that, remember, there's actually a lot of overlap between what Jesus is saying to his disciples here and how we should be living. So when we turn to the New Testament, we discover really that this same kind of principle applies to us. While we wait for Jesus, what are we to fear? Well, like the disciples, we're not to be afraid of people who oppose us. We're to fear God. Because just like God was the judge of the disciples, he's our judge too. So for example, in 1 Peter, Peter says that we call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. And so for that reason, we are to live our lives here in reverent fear of him. He also says in that same letter that we will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In light of that, how should we live? Well, Peter says, even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. If people oppose you while you wait for Jesus to return, don't be afraid of them. Don't be frightened. You're blessed, he says. And even if they cause you suffering, even if they kill you, which honestly in Australia is extremely unlikely, but even if that happens, God is the one who judges you after you die. He's the one who decides whether or not you get into his kingdom. So don't be afraid of people. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be frightened by them. Fear God. And keep acknowledging Jesus. Peter goes on to say, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See what he's saying, friends? In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Are you prepared to do that? Like if your friend said to you tomorrow, how can you believe in the Bible? Like it's so unreliable and... There's actually more evidence for evolution in the Big Bang than any kind of creation. What would you say? 
Are you prepared to say anything to that? Or what about if someone at work said, like, I hate God. How can you love a God who let my baby die? Are you prepared to say why your hope is in that God? Why your hope is in Jesus? What about if this week someone said to you, you Christians are all just homophobic, the Bible's just full of gay hate. What would you say then? Because that would be pretty confronting, wouldn't it? That would be a pretty intimidating lunchtime conversation. But maybe you could say something like, well, would you like to read a bit of the Bible with me? And you could let them see what the Bible says for itself. That would be a great way to acknowledge Jesus in the face of opposition. That would be a great way to show that, you're, that you fear God and you're not afraid of what people think of you. And really the worst they could say is no, right? A few verses later, Peter says this. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Because Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. If you do speak up, if you do acknowledge Jesus when people oppose you, then there's a, real, a realistic chance you might suffer. But that's okay. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. That's what Peter's saying to us. It's okay because... Jesus has died for sins to bring you to God. He's died for our sins so as to bring us into God's kingdom. And friends, that is something worth facing opposition for. Because being in God's kingdom for eternity, well, that makes opposition now pale into insignificance. So let's not be afraid of those who oppose us. Back in Luke, though, After Jesus had finished telling his disciples what to fear, this guy from the crowd pipes up and says, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. So this guy comes to Jesus because basically he wants Jesus to make his brother share with him, but it's basically because he's greedy. And Jesus piggybacks on that to now tell his disciples what they should worry about while they're on the way to Jerusalem. And basically what he says is, Don't be like this guy, don't be greedy. Don't be worried about money. Instead, put God's kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom. Store up treasures in heaven. Because when you've got treasure in heaven, well, that changes everything. When you've got treasure in heaven, then you don't need to be worried about trying to store up treasures here on earth. But before he gets there, he first warns the crowd against greed. Verse 15. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, be careful of greed, he says to the crowd, because life, it's not about getting as much stuff as you can. And so as to reinforce the point that it's foolish to spend your life trying to gather up stuff, Jesus goes on to tell a parable about a rich guy. This guy had a fantastic crop. It was so big that he decided to get rid of his little barns and build bigger ones so that he could store up enough stuff to last him for many years. And then he could take life easy, right? Eat, drink, be merry, relax. Kind of sounds like the Australian dream, doesn't it? Like this is the kind of thing that everyone's working for. But the punchline comes in verse 20 and 21. God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. 
Jesus says to the crowd, if you spend your life storing up stuff for yourself but you're not rich toward God, then one day you will die and God will judge you and he won't care at all about how much stuff you've stored up for yourself, you fools. So look out, be careful, be on guard against greed because life is not about amassing and acquiring things. Now, after telling the greedy guy in the crowd that life isn't about stuff, Jesus now turns back to his disciples in verse 22 and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat. Do not worry about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. While you're with me on the road to Jerusalem to bring in God's kingdom, don't worry about possessions. Don't worry about food. Like, look at the birds. They don't worry about what they're going to eat and God feeds them and you're more valuable than the birds. And don't worry about clothes. Look at the flowers. They don't worry about what they're going to wear and God clothes them in splendour and God cares more about you. So, verse 29, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Why? Because, verse 30, the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. Pagans worry about food and clothes. That's what people who don't know God worry about. But you do know God, Jesus says to his disciples. And God cares about you. And he knows what you need. So don't set your heart on food and clothes. Don't worry about it. Instead, verse 31, seek his kingdom. Now, just to put things in context... The disciples had given up their jobs, right? They had literally left everything behind to follow Jesus to Jerusalem. And you can almost forgive them, can't you, for, for being at least a little bit worried about things like where their next meal is going to come from and what's going to happen when their clothes run out and how they're going to buy a house in a couple of years and who's going to provide for them when they get old. But Jesus' encouragement to them is don't worry about that stuff. It's okay. If you give up things for me... If you give up everything for me, if you seek God's kingdom, it's worth it. Because he goes on to say, if you put God's kingdom first, then you will have treasure in heaven. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. When no thief comes near and no moth destroys. He's saying to the disciples that if they use their wealth, even the little bit they've got left, if they use that to be rich toward God, if they use their earthly possessions for the sake of his kingdom, if they give to the poor, if they're generous, then they'll store up treasures for themselves in heaven. And once they've got treasure in heaven, it changes everything. Once they've got treasure in heaven, they don't need to be worried about storing up treasures on earth. Like this is a revolutionary way of thinking, right? Treasure in heaven takes a lot of the shine off treasures on earth. Takes all the shine off treasures on earth. Jesus wants his disciples to store up treasure in heaven so that their hearts are seeking God's kingdom. That's what he says in verse 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is telling his disciples, watch out. Be on guard against greed. Because if your life is about storing up treasures here, that's where your heart's going to be. But if you are seeking God's kingdom, if you're putting God's kingdom first, if you're using your possessions to be rich toward God, if you're storing up treasure in heaven, 
then that's where your heart's going to be. Now let me say again, we're not with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem to bring in God's kingdom. But we are waiting for Jesus to return, aren't we? At which point he will fully and finally bring in God's kingdom. So it's no surprise really that that we should be sitting pretty loosely to our money and our possessions as well. The New Testament writers are crystal clear about this. While we wait for Christ to bring in God's kingdom, we should be putting God's kingdom first. We should be using our stuff that God has richly blessed us with, we should be using our stuff to store up treasures in heaven. If we do that, like the disciples, we won't need to be worried about trying to amass wealth here. So in 1 Timothy 6, Paul uh, says to rich people like us, because let's be honest, if you're sitting in this room, you are rich. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says to rich people like us, don't put your hope in your wealth. Put your hope in God. This is what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Is your hope in your wealth? How do you know? Maybe one way you can tell whether you're putting your hope in your wealth is to give it away. And I'm not talking about just giving a little bit out of your plenty. I'm talking about you know, giving and giving and giving and giving until it hurts. Giving until finances get a bit tight, you know, until, until you do have to hope in God and depend on him. If you can't do that, if you won't do that, then maybe your hope is in your wealth. If just the thought of giving money away like that makes your heart race and your palms go sweaty, then... Maybe you don't have the kingdom of God at the centre of your thinking. But really, Jesus doesn't want us to worry, right? Like, Paul's not telling us to give our money away to make us feel stressed. In fact, it is the exact opposite. Paul is saying to be generous and to share your money now so as to store up treasure that will last for eternity. He's saying use your possessions now to lay up treasure for yourselves for the coming age. This is what he goes on to say. Command those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will what? They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Look, I really hope this isn't feeling like a guilt trip because it's not meant to be. In fact, this is actually meant to take the pressure off. Jesus tells his disciples that if they store up treasure in heaven, if their heart is in the kingdom of God, then they'll be free from worrying about what the world worries about. They'll be free from worrying about storing up treasures here on earth. That's really what Paul's saying, isn't it? If you're using your wealth to be rich in good deeds, if you're using your stuff to be rich toward God, if you're generous, if you're willing to share, if you give up things for Jesus and for the kingdom... If you give up your dream house, if you give up that overseas holiday, if you're seeking God's kingdom, if your heart is in his kingdom, if the kingdom of God is at the centre of your thinking, it's all worth it. Even if you miss out on things, it's worth it. Because that's how you lay up treasure for yourself in the coming age. That's how you get to take hold of life that is truly life. A life that's free from worry. A life that's free from being afraid of people. 
a life that's free from being consumed by possessions and money and stuff. That's a life that's all about the kingdom of God, really, isn't it? Let me pray. Father, thanks heaps for Jesus. Thanks that he came to defeat Satan and to bring in your kingdom. And thanks that you've promised that he will come again to defeat his enemies once and for all and to fully and finally bring in your kingdom. Help us to wait well for him to come again. Help us to not be afraid of people. Uh, Help us especially not to be so afraid that we disown Jesus. That would be a tragedy. Instead, help us to fear you. Help us to remember to remember your promises and what you've won for us through Jesus and so to continue to acknowledge him even in the face of opposition. Because, Father, being with you in your kingdom makes opposition pale into insignificance. And, Father, while we wait too, please help us to be on guard against greed. Help us to use the things that you've given us to store up treasures in heaven. Help us to use our money and our possessions and our time for the sake of your kingdom. Because truly, treasures in heaven takes all the shine off treasures here on earth. And so, Father, help us to wholeheartedly seek your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.